We've been doing a series um, at the moment called When the Rubber Hits the Road. And, uh, and it's looking at three areas of ministry within the church, the three kind of broad topics that we, that we look at in terms of uh, when the rubber hits the road as a church. The three areas are loving your neighbour, loving God and loving one another. And they're very broad topics, but, but they're, they're, they're the, the, I guess, the cornerstone, the, the pillars that, um, that we base um, what we do in terms of ministering, in terms of the way we live and the way we operate as a church. And, and, and the, the, the core, the premise of, of these come out of a few passages that, that Jesus shared, but a significant one you probably all know is this passage from Matthew 22, and it's, it's in, in the other Gospels or in other Gospels as well. But it says in Matthew 22, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, Jesus is actually quoting in that green bit, Deuteronomy 6. Now, remember, he's talking to an expert in the law, someone who knew Deuteronomy 6. Um, but he doesn't just stop at quoting it. He actually concludes by saying, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So basically, everything that you've learnt in terms of you being an expert in the law, everything that you profess to hold and, and own and, um, and, and call your foundation of belief is based in these two things. That's pretty significant. But it's very easy, and, and we often do it in the church and, and, and a lot of people outside the church, to look at God a bit like a tyrant, a bit like a taskmaster, because these are commandments. And he's referring back to you know, the, the, the law, the old covenant, the law and the prophets. And, and if we think about the law, it's all the do's and don'ts. And if we think about the prophets, they're kind of, watch out or God's going to get you. Um, quite often, God gets a pretty bad rap. Um, and, and, and even with Jesus, we see, you know, Jesus says, you know, we, we think, well, he might come as a breath of fresh air, but, but he comes and says, take up your cross. You're going to be persecuted if you follow me. There's things that we kind of, we often put God into this, this tyrant, this, this kind of heavy, oppressive sort of position. But it's actually very twisted and very narrow. And if you look at Jesus, in some ways, he was the life of the party. He starts his ministry by turning water into wine at a wedding. But later he gets accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because of who he hangs out with. And not only that, kids enjoy hanging out with him. He, uh, he spends his evenings hanging out at the local park with his mates. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of signs that, that point to Jesus actually being someone that people like to hang out with. He wasn't someone that, that was, you know, he, he said he told the truth, but he was actually someone that was approachable, that was someone that you could engage with. And it's funny because I think about 
um, me, as a, me as a parent and Tanya and I as parents. And um, you think about, say, when the kids, you know, tell Daniel and Kathy, it's time to go to bed. And now Tanya normally does this. She corrected me yesterday when I was telling her the story. And she went, oh, you, t- you say that, do you? Um, but let's pretend I say that to my kids. Um, so you say, okay, kids, time for bed. Can't we stay up for another 10 minutes? No, no, you, you're going to be tired tomorrow. You've got, you know, got to go to school. Um, need you to go, but why can't I stay up for another 10 minutes? Now, as an adult, I know the consequences of them staying up for another 10 minutes. Um, and 15, 20, whatever. And I know that tomorrow there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a challenge. And it's not fair on them. They're going to suffer as a result of me letting them stay up late. But they don't see it that way. They see it like I'm just giving them a rule, something to do. And so we come to this passage and you can look at it and go, commandment, being told to do something. But when you look at it from God's position, it's completely different. It's absolutely completely different. And when we come to these these things, we actually often get that burden. We we kind of think that that when we take God seriously and when we're committed to him, we've got to throw out the sense of fun and joy and laughter and and like there's got to be a separation. And we come here and go, oh, commandment, it's important, it's heavy. But actually, God's a romantic. He comes to this passage with a sense of love, a sense of wanting the best for us. And, and it's not just in this passage that, that he, he says this, but this passage is kind of at the heart. It's at the core of what the law and the prophets were on about. When God wanted to speak to his people, he had a message that was a romantic message. It wasn't a message of oppression of someone trying to dictate and tell people laws. It was actually a really loving, exciting place to be. And if you think about, you know, an engaged couple, and if you ask them, you know, how you feel about this journey of loving your spouse, like loving your, your fiancé heading into the future, is it, is it feeling like a real burden that you're oppressed at the thought of loving this person? No? Of course not. Ben and Sherry, where's Ben? Does it feel like a burden to have to love Sherry? Right answer, correct. Sherry, feel like a burden? Hard work? Sometimes. <laughs> not yet. I, I remember the, the, the day very vividly that I asked Tanya out. We were actually on a, um, uh, we, we were leading a youth group together. There were three of us leading the youth group. And so Tanya and I had, had got to know each other's heart and character, and, um, and, but we hadn't expressed this. So, so I felt like it was, you know, the godly thing to do. I felt like Tanya and I were meant to be together. And so I rang her up. But what I realised also is youth group was never, ever going to be the same. This was a very, very scary conversation to have. Because if Tanya went, you're a really nice guy, but I don't see it, that was going to make youth group Friday night very awkward. (laughs) And so I was pretty wound up. Um, And Tanya, as she always does, is very, very gracious and very patient. And she saw the or heard 
the anxiousness in my voice and, you know, she made conversation and she was very gentle with me. Um, but she would also agree that I was pretty wound up. So sometimes this, this romance isn't as straightforward as it, as it you know, could be. There's, there, is some, there is some pressure in, in, in the relationship, um, but it's good pressure, pressure that we, we're happy to engage in. We're excited about this relationship. And so um, there's, there's this sense that we can look at God's desire for us to love him with everything. It's pretty clear that this verse is talking about everything you've got, everything that you are, to love him. And we can look at that like it's a task, like it's a job that we've got to do, like it's something that we're obligated to do out of duty. And when we come at it like that, we've actually completely missed the agenda of a romantic God, a God that eagerly desires this relationship. It's funny because there was a, um, a, a, a creative worship workshop that I went to um, that Kaleidoscope Church put on. And the, uh, the guy who was giving the thought that people were then going away and creatively expressing somehow started by saying, God is a pathetic God. Like, whoa, that's a bit confronting. You know, well, you might be talking about a different God to the one I know. And uh, he goes, no, no, the God that we have put our trust in is a pathetic God. But then he actually unpacked what it means to be pathetic. Because the word pathos is the Greek word, which is the opposite of being apathetic, not caring. And in Greek terms, all their gods were not caring. The power came out of the fact you could lord it over people. Yet this God is pathetic because he has a heart. He has a love for his people. And, and in a sense of you know, the Greek gods, that's weakness. But not this God. The one true God is a God that has a heart, that has a heart of love for his people. So I'm not saying something offensive to God when I call him pathetic. We use it in a different way. But what I'm saying is that God has a love and a passion and a desire for us. And when we come to this passage, it's not a burden. It's not a hard, it's, it, is, it is hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's not a, um, a duty or a thing that comes because it's a commandment. It comes because our God loves us and wants the best for us. There's a whole heap of things we can put in the way that make it into a burden. We can put our pride in the way. We can put our perspective. We can get twisted. We can not understand what it means. And, and there's all these things that we can put in the way. But I don't want to talk about that this morning. There's also a whole heap of things that we can put in, in place to make loving God with everything healthy. And as a church... We, we want to make sure that we're teaching and preaching and worshipping and prayer and, and all those things that try to cultivate healthy stuff. And I thought that's what I was going to be talking about this morning, but I'm not. Because there's three profound things, absolutely amazing things, that make this win-win situation possible. And we didn't do any of them. And it points to the picture of God's position 
And sometimes we take them for granted. Sometimes we don't even, haven't even experienced them. But they, I, I, I got stuck because everything else is skirting around the edges. Everything else that you talk about, not that they're not significant and, and how, we, how we do this better is very significant, but fundamental at the heart of this is three very amazing things. The first one is life. We take life for granted, but God actually designed life. He designed and created us in his image. And that was his first step to making this possible, is he actually created us with hearts too. He designed us for this to be possible. And, okay, our parents had a little bit of an influence on that. They had, they had a bit of a, a, a thing to say. But ultimately, they didn't create the life. They didn't sustain the life. They didn't make the life grow. That was what God did. And to this day, not to say it's not possible, scientists have no idea, absolutely no idea, how God did it. Maybe one day they will work it out. But they, they, they're guessing about heat and pressure and all different things that maybe you can create life out of nothing, out, out of just substance. But God designed life. And that was the starting place. He actually designed us to worship him. When you think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Why would you want eternal life? What do you do for eternity? Worship. So if the idea is that we're going to be worshipping for eternity, that's what life is. So really he's telling you his design plan. So when he created us, he created us to worship him, to love him, and that he can love us. And so he sent his son so that we can do that for eternity. So it all actually started. The, most, the, the, the first profound thing was that he actually gave us life. Um, and sometimes we, we've all got it. We all took that. We all claimed that, that, that gift that he gave us. Um, but we don't actually often acknowledge that. That that life was actually him initiating this relationship. Um, and it's profound. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But he didn't stop there because he knew we're not God. And so his second step was to send Jesus. And Peter articulated beautifully before the role that Jesus played in bringing us back to that related relationship. And so the second amazingly profound thing was that he sent Jesus. An amazing act of humility. Like, has anyone seen... Um, uh, the movie Hitch, have you heard? I'm not recommending it for those who haven't. Part of, part of the sacrifice, yeah, I was going to say, part of the sacrifice of, of, of being in a romantic relationship, in a love relationship, is that you have to give and take. And one of the gives is romantic comedies. So um, Tanya enjoys a romantic comedy, so I've watched a few. Um, so good film, recommendation from me. Um, does anyone know... Does anyone know the, the main character's theory on kissing, on, on, on initiating a kiss with, 
with someone? I can't remember what the percentages are. What's the you know? 90-10. So the idea is that the guy goes 90% of the way and gives the girl the opportunity to initiate the other 10%. Okay, so this is this guy's principle. But in this scenario, God's actually come from heaven to earth. He gave us life first, and then the next thing he does is he comes way more than 90%. He comes all the way, all the way to make that kiss, to make that relationship possible, to bridge the gap that we could never bridge, to make it possible for broken people that are unworthy in front of an amazingly pure and perfect and holy God to actually have that intimate relationship with him. It's amazing. It's profound. And the third thing is Jesus knew he had to go back to the Father. And so what he did is he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Another amazing gift to equip, to remind us of Jesus' teaching, to empower us, to journey with us. He is not a God from a distance. He is a romantic God that loves the idea of being with his people, of connecting with his people. That this is not a one-way road. This, this picture that is painted of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind is not something that he hasn't invested in. He's actually done three absolutely amazing things. And as I said at the start, Sometimes we can take all three things for granted. Sometimes we've only experienced one of those three things. And so when we tackle this idea of loving God with everything, everything else almost seems insubstantial to those three things. The amazing effort and energy and love and sacrifice and humility that God went to to make that possible is phenomenal. It's mind-blowing. This is the greatest win-win opportunity uh, situation that humanity's ever going to experience. A win for God and a win for us. And unless we can grasp these things, unless we can grasp and, 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 and accept, we don't, even have to, we don't even have to solve them. They've been solved for us. They've been given to us. All three are a gift. But unless we accept all three things, that's going to become hard work. And we're going to remember the commandment more than we are going to remember the heart of what it's about. And so this morning, it's really simple. How do you respond to those three gifts? What do you think about those three gifts? Have you accepted those three gifts? Because there's no point talking about loving God unless you recognize that he's gone 99% of the way. He's made it as much as he can. He's done as much as he can except he can't accept the gift for us. So I see 
a bunch of different scenarios this morning. I see being blown away by the gifts that I've actually received. And I see the joy of being so grateful that my God is romancing me. Yeah? That for me is phenomenal. That's exciting. That's something that I want to be thankful about. But I also see that, that there's possibility that maybe, maybe you haven't picked up the gift. Maybe you haven't taken those three things up. And if that's the case, that's where we've got to start. And I want to give an opportunity this morning for us to do that, um, for us to, to, um, to take up those three gifts. There's a third part, and that is you might not know that those gifts exist. And there's many people here that have experienced all three, and, um, and they would love to talk with you about it. I'd love to talk with you about it. Um, I don't want to um, downplay the gifts by just giving you a quick 10-second snapshot because they're not little gifts, they're not insubstantial gifts, they're amazing gifts. And they're something that, that deserve time to unpack, time to understand. But they are phenomenal. And we've got a God who loves who loves, who loves, who loves us beyond our comprehension and wants us to experience those three gifts. There's often a battle in our minds about, about these gifts. If the enemy is trying to rob, steal and destroy, then he's trying to take, take those gifts away from us. He's trying to take the value of those gifts, the significance of those gifts and so this morning, I'm, I'm really keen for us to have the freedom to receive. There is something for every single one in this room to receive this morning. Every single one. And if you just had a thought in your mind to say, that's not me, that's not true. Every single person in this room God has something for you. And Lord, we just want that this morning, Father. Lord, we don't want to, to hold back, to reserve our love for you, Lord God. We don't want to hold back from the way you designed us to be, the plans and the purposes you had for us, the, the loving Father wanting the best for your children, knowing the best for your children. And Father, first and foremost, I just pray for your spirit to, to bring freedom this morning, Lord God. Lord, any barriers, anything, Lord, that would get in the way of us experiencing and claiming and owning and being excited about these profound gifts, Father, I pray that you would just remove them right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, I just ask that you would Take away anything that stops us, that prevents us from, from claiming those things, Lord God. Just ask for your freedom in this place, Lord. But Lord, in that place of that freedom, Father, we want you to impart. We want you 
to lavish, to give. Father, whether it is a, a fresh reminder of what we've already received, whether it's something new, Lord. Lord, we don't see this like a duty. We don't see this like a task. We don't see this like, like a burden, Lord God. This is how we were meant to be. This was where we were meant to be. This is what we were meant to be receiving. It was how you designed it. So, Father, we just ask you now, by your Spirit, just to, to come and pour out. Pour out on your people, Lord God. Lord, you are the giver of life. You're the giver of Jesus, the sacrifice of your Son, who humbled himself and came to be a man. And then gave up that life so that we might have abundant life. But Father, you didn't stop there. You sent your spirit to live, to encourage, to inspire, to, to convict, to empower, to heal, to bring love letters to your people. Sometimes we can feel unworthy. Sometimes we can be told we're unworthy. Maybe even the life that you were given, you got told was an accident. That you weren't wanted. It's a lie. The life you were given was a gift. If anyone here is feeling that weight of not feeling like they deserve the life that they've been given. If you feel like that the life was wasted on you, that it wasn't meant to be, just really encourage you just to, just to grab someone around you or come and get someone to pray with you. Because it's not true. It's a gift that was given to you. A gift that was given to you with love. With a lavishing love that, that we may never fully understand. Father God, we just thank you so much that you have done everything, absolutely everything. We thank you that you get to blow our minds with your love, with gifts that go beyond our comprehension. Father God, we just ask that you would help us receive those gifts. Help us claim those gifts. That 
you might experience our love too. As we live lives that were the way you intended them to be, the absolute best, the best that we could hope for or dream for, to be able to love you in return. Overwhelm us, Father. Overwhelm us with adoration for the love that you pour out upon us, Lord God. That we might be able to be called children of the living God. Sons and daughters of the Most High. That we might be able to carry your spirit in our hearts. Thank you, Father.